I'm Jakob. And I'm Ken. And this is the Aromo Digital Podcast. If you're not familiar with us, we are a digital marketing agency helping pharma and biotech companies create purposeful digital programs. We created this podcast to help our clients explore topics important to pharma and biotech companies, like digital marketing, industry trends, and career growth. In each episode, we try and pick the brains of some of the industry's most qualified and, more importantly, most interesting experts. So this is the first episode of the Oromo Digital Podcast. So if you end up enjoying it and would like to hear more, let us know in the comments. If you guys like it, we'll record some more episodes in the future. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome, Michael Aceto. Michael Aceto is the Managing Director at Life Sciences Search Group. Life Sciences Search Group is a national consulting firm providing search and recruitment services to the pharmaceutical, biotechnology, cannabis, medical device, and consumer healthcare industries throughout Canada. Thanks, Michael, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Before we begin, can you tell us a little bit more about the services that you offer and how you got into this? Sure. So... I got into recruitment about 23 years ago when I graduated from University of Toronto and I started a, uh, I, I started working with a boutique search firm for almost 20 years before I started my own business three and a half years ago. So the services that I provide are basically I work within the life sciences industries. So that would be pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, cannabis, as you mentioned, some medical device companies. And I basically uh, provide search services on finding tier one candidates for leading global healthcare companies. So what brought you to it? Did you know you were really good at finding skills or was it something that you... No, no, not at all. Um, when I graduated from University of Toronto with a philosophy degree, um, I was looking for an opportunity. I, I know that I wanted to get some business experience. I felt recruitment seemed like an up-and-coming type industry at the time. It was actually the fastest growing industry. Now there's many, many recruiters around. I just thought it would be an exciting opportunity to get some business experience in an entrepreneurial environment, potentially maybe go get an MBA mm -hmm. later. And uh, 23 years went by. Awesome. Yeah. So do you remember back 23 years, your first ever successful recruit? I sure do because it, uh, it was a challenge. It took me about four months. And in fact, there was a lot of close calls. So it was, mm -hmm. it was a bit arduous. It was tough. I, I had no experience. I was super young, naive. Um, but I stuck with it. And I remember I placed my first placement was with a generic pharmaceutical manufacturer of creams, gels, and ointments, and I placed a regulatory <laughs> scientist for my manager at the time. Yeah. He had the business, and I was recruiting for him. So that that kind of uh, that helped keep me there and uh, kind of keep me going. Awesome. So did you have to wait a, a period of time? Was that kind of stressful, hoping that he's going to stay in role? Um, you know, at that time, I, I wasn't really worried about that. I mean, many people stayed in the roles back in, the, in those days. Mm -hmm. These days, counter offers are a lot more, um, you see that a lot more. And uh, there's a lot more competitive opportunities. But no, I, I guess I was just super happy that I made my first placement. Awesome. And um, I didn't, you know, I was insecure. I didn't know if this would be something I'd be good at. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was, it was thrilling. Awesome. So, and a relief. And a relief. Yeah, for sure. Because there were some upsets. Like, you, you know, I had to kind of keep going and keep going and close to some offers. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Over your uh, career, obviously, there's different phases that the industry has gone through. More recently, are you noticing any trends in the job market? Yeah, I, I believe there's been quite a lot of changes. Um, the industry's really morphed over the years, over the last 20 years. I think recently, there's been a lot more mergers, acquisitions. Um, there's also been a lot more outsourcing mm -hmm. of different roles. So, 
companies don't have customer service departments as much anymore, even pharmacovigilance, medical information. A lot of these are now going outside to third-party groups. Um, there's a lot of mergers as basically companies are trying to increase their pipelines and portfolio with new novel products like rare disease and biologics. So uh, there's a lot of instability in the industry, a lot of great opportunities, um, but those are some of the changes that, that I've noticed. So where do you think the biggest opportunities are uh, in the job field right now in pharma? I think that the, the biggest area of demand right now would be anything with regards to biologics or rare disease. Um, oncology is still a really big area. It was an area that everybody really got into about 10 years ago when things like Lipitor and blockbuster drugs basically started to kind of disappear. Um, so now biologics is, is, really, is really a key area. Rare disease is an up-and-coming area now, finding sort of, you know, diagnosing patients with very rare diseases that they can treat or areas that are very strong right now. And, and with regards to what positions would be in high demand, I think the medical science liaison role is a, uh, is a position where you're doing pre-marketing, dealing directly with key opinion leader physicians, bringing new clinical mm -hmm. research and studies to them to prepare them for the upcoming launch of new novel medicines like biologics and things like that and they even have pills now for multiple myeloma so there's a lot of new technology coming to yep. market and that's a really big area for a PhD or a PharmD coming out of school to, to basically be able to get in and, and, and work with key opinion leaders and some great pharma companies also market access um, government relations, market access, anything that is, is getting products onto a, a provincial formulary or having a, uh, a third-party insurer be able to provide um, funding for these products is key. So market access, government affairs, um, external relations, you know, with key opinion leaders, provincial institutions, government institutions, mm -hmm. those are really big areas right now within pharma. On the other, so the other side of the coin there, are you seeing some areas that aren't growing at all or actually shrinking? Uh, you know, I think over the years. I, I've never been a specialist when it comes to clinical research, um, but I've seen that that's kind of shrunk, it seems, over the last 20 years, although there is still clinical research happening in Canada. It just seemed like there was a lot more of it back in the day. Yeah. Uh, also, of course, I mean, manufacturing has been diminishing significantly for a long time mm -hmm. now. So a lot of that's now going outside of the country and there's been a lot of, uh, you know, um, decreasing of manufacturing. So I, I think that those are some areas that have changed. So with regards to the trends that you're seeing, you know, sending people out of pharma into something else, like cannabis. Are you starting to see a little bit more of that as well? And in fact, I'm seeing quite a lot of that recently. Um, up until the cannabis industry exploded, I mean, it's a Canada-driven industry, huge opportunity, you know, and still a lot of stigma around it, but there's huge medicinal qualities in cannabinoids. So, you know, a lot of companies are taking advantage of that, uh, especially on the medical side. I mean, there's a great recreational opportunity there, but really there's a, a lot of, uh, of positive attributes to tapping into cannabinoids. So um, that's an area that has really taken off. I mean, in the past, when people used to leave pharma, I, I knew they'd want to come back because <laughs> people really enjoy working in pharma, making a difference, helping people. It's really tier one. You're working with some really highly intelligent and brilliant people. Mm -hmm. And I find when people get frustrated because maybe they lose their job from a merger and it takes too long and they leave the industry, they always want to come back. However, this new cannabis explosion, I, it is amazing. And I've seen so many people coming from pharma, leaving pharma and going to cannabis innovators and going to different um, licensed producers of cannabis. So with this shift um, to cannabis, are you starting to take a look at these different individuals and having to coach them differently prior to actually doing an interview? 
Yes, uh, I, I think that there, uh, the, the cannabis industry has exploded. I, I think that it's uh, a little unstructured. Uh, I think it's key to be highly adaptable if you're going to be going into this area. So if you're somebody that needs massive amounts of structure, if you've worked for a very large pharma company for a while or you're used to having, you know, every day you know exactly what the standard operating procedure is going to be and what you're going to be doing, it may be a challenge to enter into such an entrepreneurial market where there's really no structure and things are happening so quickly. If you're the type of individual that thrives in an environment where you're able to build structure from ambiguous sort of surroundings and build systems and processes, it's a phenomenal opportunity. And that's what I would coach anybody who's considering looking into any type of startup, whether it's a startup biotech or, or a cannabis business. Is there any kind of like attitude shift that people should have? Like, do you typically have to do a lot more of the work yourself in a startup environment versus, you know, a larger corporation? Do you see people kind of managing that shift a little bit differently? That's a great question. Um, I've spent a lot of my career working with smaller biotechs that are launching products in Canada. Most of them work that I've done, although I have worked with larger pharmaceutical companies, um, I tend to work with smaller biotechs mm -hmm. that are starting up and there's a very big difference. So again, you know, somebody coming from a really large bio, uh, large pharma, they're more siloed in their yeah. responsibilities. So they have less of a breadth of responsibility. When you go to a startup, whether it's a cannabis yeah. company or a new oncology innovator that's launching a novel medicine in Canada, there's way less people. So you're doing much more, which is great. You have mm -hmm. a great opportunity to increase your breadth of responsibility and to do more and to take on more. But absolutely, I mean, you really need to roll up your sleeves, work in an environment that's changing and be willing to take on many more responsibilities that you would versus working at a very large pharma company where they have just hundreds of people mm -hmm. that are doing so many things. So if the fit isn't right, and I'm sure you've seen some situations where, you know, maybe the placement didn't work out, can you ever pinpoint a couple things that didn't lead to success? Well, I, I have seen people come from very large pharma companies where they've worked there for 20 years going to small biotechs mm -hmm. where it's been very difficult yeah. for them. Um, often when I'm recruiting, you know, if, if I come across someone who comes from a, a, a large multi-billion dollar pharma company that has hundreds and hundreds of people and they've been there for a very long time, I'm concerned about them fitting in and being yeah. able to adapt into sure. a smaller pharma world. And I'm really honest and upfront with individuals about that. You know, whenever I present an opportunity, I really like to be able to describe the pluses and the minuses and make sure that everyone has their eyes open going in. But that's a big challenge for some people. I mean, if you've been at a major big pharma company for your whole career, you know, stepping into uncertainty where there's no processes, where you're doing a lot more can definitely be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And, gosh, and a great opportunity yeah. too, though. I mean, I'm not saying any everybody. I mean, there's people who have who actually have worked for large pharma that want to go back to smaller. Yeah. I mean, there's places that started off small. J&J um, mm -hmm. &J used to be a small organization out in, you know, Janssen out in Mississauga where there's a very small group and it was, it was a smaller company where you mm -hmm. could really utilize your creativity. You, 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 there wasn't as much process and red tape to cut through to actually get your business plans rolling. Um, when you work for a lot, when it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, there's just a lot more red tape to cut through. And that frustrates really smart marketers and creative individuals that want to act on, on the strategies and the, and the creativity that they have. So sometimes it's great to go to larger pharma companies because they miss those small pharma days and want to go back to it. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of shifting gears here when I'm, I'm thinking about um, the other side where there's people outside of the industry who have been kind of looking at pharma, maybe they work in uh, healthcare services, maybe academia. How do you uh, kind of coach those type of individuals to get into pharma? Where do they start? Well, I, I, um, 
I have a number of people contact me on a weekly basis yeah. from school yep. trying to break into the pharmaceutical, like raw grads, for example. Yeah, you know, my and, little brother is probably one of those. Oh, people. yeah, sure. Well, I'm, I'm happy to provide him advice if yeah. he wants to give yeah. me a call. Um, but my suggestion is if you really want to break into the pharmaceutical industry and you're kind of a yeah. raw grad, there's, there's two ways of doing it. I'm, I mean, getting in on the commercial side is one way. Yeah. So sales, mm-hmm. sales or marketing. Um, but pharma companies really like people to have at least a year of sales experience. Mm-hmm. So if you can get a job working for a like a Xerox where ha- yep. we would have great training yeah, or a consumer packaged goods company that yep. trains you and gives you a year of sales where you can actually go to an interview and say that you've had success. You can get a good reference. They're more likely to consider you with a, you know, a degree with a year of experience in sales. That's a great way to get in. Uh, another great way to get in is on the medical side. If you have a PharmD or a PhD or even a master's and you're interested in a medical role or an MSL role, which I mentioned earlier is mm-hmm. in super high demand. So sometimes it's tough to find people with MSL experience, um, that's another great way to break in. And for people who are outside the industry, maybe who have already been working for five or 10 years um, in a marketing role, I mean, there's certainly opportunities to get in on contracts to prove yourself and then continue to move on in that regard. But if you've been highly successful in digital marketing in another area or, or another capacity outside of pharma or consumer healthcare, that certainly could bridge and, and, and open up doors for you to get into pharma. Mm-hmm. But the positions are very competitive. There's lots of mergers and acquisitions. There's some very good people on the market. There was a time when people were restructured. It usually was because they weren't the, the, the top performers. Mm-hmm. That's not the case anymore. There's just business decisions and mergers occurring. And there's some phenomenal people that are out there on the market. And that makes for some serious competition. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and when you highlight the merger and acquisition challenge right now, I mean, there's a lot of them that are going on. Um, when we when you take a look at the individuals who are going through that process, they still have their role, but they're waiting for that merger to actually sure. you know, show up. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of advice do you give to people? Are they reaching out to you? Are they asking you questions? You know, what should I do? What are my opportunities, et cetera? They get kind of in from just chatting with some different people. They get kind of nervous. You know, do I have a job? Do I have a role? Mm-hmm. And when do they typically actually you know send a message to you and say? Hey, should I look for another position? Sure. Um, of course. I mean, that's a great question. Uh, and I mean, mergers and acquisitions are happening every week. Um, I mean, there's, there's two of them going on right now with, with, with uh, major companies. And, uh, you know, it's always a concerning time. My advice would be is if you know that uh, your, your company is going through a merger and acquisition, uh, I think that you should cover your back. I think that you should uh, start reaching out to recruiters. You should start letting people know that you are potentially open to new opportunities based on what's going to happen with the merger and acquisition. Uh, I would be weary of taking advice from senior leaders who say your job is going to be fine because I yeah. feel that often they don't even know exactly mm-hmm. what's going to happen, but their job is to kind of maintain um, you know, calmness within the group. They don't want to see a mass exodus of people. Some of those people will stay on. Some of them will get great opportunities, but there's uncertainty. And I think that you should cover your back. I think you should reach out to people, understand about other opportunities. So should you end up losing your position, at least you've already put feelers out. You've already have an updated resume. You have references ready to go. And you've reached out to key recruiters and key hiring managers mm-hmm. to let them know that there's a possibility you'll be on the market shortly. So the opposite of that, when things aren't changing and somebody is in a role, something that I've heard uh, when I first started is that you don't want to be in a job too long. They always said 18 months, you should be looking for something. How long is too long in a role and what do you typically recommend? In, in a role or in a company? Uh, both actually. Is there okay. a difference? Yeah. So um, look, I mean, it depends on your level of ambition, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, I mean, if you're content being in a role that challenges you, yeah. that you enjoy working with the team. And, and you're happy and doing well, 
well, what's wrong with that? I mean, stay in the role. But if you are an ambitious individual that wants to climb the corporate ladder, it's true. I mean, if you stay in the same role for too, too long, then you're not someone who's being perceived as uh, progressing their career mm-hmm. or somebody that, that is given more opportunity to move on. So from a perception standpoint, being in one role for an extremely long period of time, y- you don't look like the most ambitious individual that's been given opportunity. But I mean, if you're enjoying it and you love your life yeah. and you love your job, why not? Right? Yeah. Not everyone has, everyone has different levels of ambitions. Some it's more important than others. Um, so I think it is important to move on and get varied experience. Mm-hmm. Um, how long should you stay at a company for? Well, I believe if you love the company you're mm-hmm. working with, the team that you're working with, if they're continuing to challenge you and providing you with opportunity to move within the organization, to progress, to take on more, uh, I think that's great. I mean, what's wrong with staying at a company for 20 years if you're continuing to elevate, grow, and take on more responsibility? Um, and sometimes the grass isn't greener on the other side. You may think an opportunity is phenomenal, but all of a sudden there's a problem with a pipeline, there's an adverse drug reaction or something, and you find yourself being let go due to a business decision. So it's a very dynamic question, but I feel as long as you're happy, you're, 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 you're increasing your level of responsibility and you're being challenged, what's the point of leaving? Um, I think that there's some great opportunities, and I think a lot of companies these days are – really focused on succession and, and succession planning and mm-hmm. career succession planning. So if you're working for a great company that continues to offer you great opportunities, then why leave? Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of leads into the next question. So if you're happy at your job, you love you know what you do, why pick up a call from a recruiter? Well, that kind of goes to yeah, the, yeah. The, what we were talking about earlier, doesn't it? I mean, um, look, and there's nothing wrong with network. Um, you know, even if you're extremely happy in your job, who knows what next year can bring? I don't think there's anything wrong with reaching out to people, letting people know who you are, being open and honest with recruiters about the fact that you're actually quite content role and not looking for anything else, but good to have the contact. You never know when there could be a merger happening or yeah. an acquisition <laughs> within your organization. Sure. So I, I think it's important to be open to talking to different recruiters and, hey, you know, you, you may know somebody too that is in a situation that needs a great job and you may be able to connect the recruiter to a colleague and, and help somebody out within your industry as well. So I, I think it's important to, to keep all lines of communication open. So, Michael, are you noticing any sort of changes with regards to the interview process um, and the amount of time it takes to potentially get a job? Yes, I, I have. Over the years, I've noticed that the interview process have become a lot more lengthy and a lot more process driven. The larger the pharma company or biotech company, the more lengthy it tends to be. And I think this has detrimental effects on people who are used to back in the day landing jobs very quickly. I think companies these days are bringing in, they're being a lot more apprehensive about who they'll hire, often looking for the unicorn that doesn't exist. And I find a lot of companies these days are interviewing a lot of people over a long period of time. And I think anybody going into the interview process within the pharmaceutical industry has to be realistic about the fact that it takes a very long time to find uh, to find a suitable appropriate opportunity. Uh, Literally, I I know people who have been unemployed for over six months, and I've said to them, this is how long it takes. I mean, you may have done well in an interview process, but a company may wait and wait and try to interview everybody to try to hire the best candidate that they can. So over the last five or six years, even maybe the last decade, things have really become very lengthy and, and it takes a lot of time. My advice would be to understand this going into the interview process and stay confident. Um, you know, if you continue to get to second round, you know, to, to final interviews, but you're not the one that's being picked, it's only because they can hire one person. You may have a phenomenal skill set, but there's a lot of competition and you need to stay positive and exude confidence and positivity when you enter into these interviews. You just don't get a job as quickly as you did back in the day. 
So I've talked to people who have a timeline. They'll typically say, you know, I want a job in the next three months. How realistic really is that? that? That's completely unrealistic. I mean, if you're really lucky, then maybe the perfect opportunity will come by. I would think that one would also want to be selective about what opportunities they consider. Not everything would be perfect. You don't want to land in a job where you're not happy just because you have a timeline. And then all of a sudden you leave six months later for another opportunity and you start jumping around and your resume looks like you're unstable. Um, I, I think that yeah, I think um, you know trying to get a job within three months is very unrealistic, especially if you're selective about the type of opportunity that you're looking for. And I think you should be because you wouldn't want to enter into a job just based on a three-month timeline and then find yourself unhappy and leaving shortly after and not having a stable background or perceived to be stable on your resume. Um, I mean, interview processes take take that long. References, multiple interviews. Um, I think these days it takes a lot longer than three months. If you're unhappy because you haven't landed a job in three months, I think that your expectations are unreasonable. So, with respect to you know telling or giving some people advice and saying, okay, you know, three months. I mean, it's going to take probably, what, a year? You know, it, it, I mean, it could take less. It all depends. I mean, some people get get lucky and they get a job within three months or six months. But yes, it can take up to a year, even for some really good candidates. Um, you know, the hiring mandates are extremely specific these days and companies are, are very cautious about the people that they'll hire and they want to interview a lot of people before making a decision. So if it takes that long... What advice would you give them to while they're waiting? Is it to look for other positions and, and just keep themselves busy? What would what would you give them in terms of advice? Well, I mean, I, I think that there's, you know, depending on how much experience you have, there's great opportunities to be involved in consulting. Uh, I think that there's opportunities to work on projects and do things or even to increase your level of education while you're interviewing. So there's still things that you can do to continue to be active uh, until you find that right full-time permanent role. So aside from having like the perfect resume and kind of tweaking that during that downtime, is there anything that you've seen really work in terms of getting success in, in landing a job? Absolutely. I think the I think it's a numbers game and I think the key is is networking, networking yeah. and networking. Uh, I think it's important these days to utilize digital marketing. So I, I think LinkedIn profiles are are everybody's looking at them. If you send a resume to a hiring manager, their chances are they're going to go on your LinkedIn profile, look at your picture. I'd suggest having a, a nice smile and a professional picture on your LinkedIn profile. I would have details just like your resume about your career on your LinkedIn profile so people understand if you have biologics experience, if you have oncology experience. I think you should put particulars in there so people can understand your background. And I think it would really help to get some great recommendations on your LinkedIn profile from senior leaders, uh, people higher up on the chain, because those are difficult ones to get. And usually if you're getting a good review from somebody who's at a senior leader level, that's some really solid credibility. So I think that's one way, but that's still passive. You need to be very active when it comes to doing your job search. You can't wait for recruiters to contact you. Their hiring mandates are so specific that they may not have something for you. And uh, I think you need to take it upon yourself to do your networking, to be your own recruiter, to go out there and to network, to reach out to ex-colleagues, to find out about what opportunities may be in companies that aren't utilizing recruiters. Yep. So, you know, my biggest advice for people, if you want a job with as fast as possible and you, you want to have options open, is to work full time at it, is to network, to build up your network, reach out to people, and you will find 
find that opportunities will come your way. I mean, even when I'm recruiting, I have people mention the same name to me over a few days because that person has reached out to me people and they, I've had the same person being recommended by five people this week because that person's highly networked. And I know that that individual has been presented with some great opportunities. Mm -hmm. So you need to get ex expose yourself and you need to reach out to people and network. So do you mean like set up some coffee, some lunches, or go to some more like formal events? Even if it's networking, yes, all of that, or yep. even over the phone, or again, reaching out to previous people and letting them know that, that you're open. And you know what? I, I would also, uh, you know, apply to positions online. And after I applied online, I, I wouldn't just leave it. I, I would uh, follow up. I'd follow up with the company. I'd try to find out maybe who the hiring manager was or, or the HR person. And I wouldn't just, um, you know, take for granted that they've seen my resume. I, yeah. I think sending a resume these days is an excuse to follow up to make sure that they've received it. You can't be passive in this job market anymore. Um, you know, you have to be aggressive at going out there and finding the right opportunities and ferreting out those right mm -hmm. opportunities and letting people know that you're available. So you've mentioned a lot of like non-pharma recruiter type activities. So what would you use a recruiter for? So do they have a specific role or? Well, yes. Um, you know, I, I, the mandates that I'm typically working on are the extremely challenging ones where they, you know, by putting up an ad, they may not get the right person. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of the people that I recruit aren't looking for jobs. They're highly successful people that are just working really hard at achieving great results. So it takes somebody like me to to reach out to a VP who's who's may not even be on LinkedIn or, mm -hmm. or, or possibly doesn't even have an updated resume because they're just too busy, you know, achieving great success for their organization. So that's usually where uh, the services of like life sciences search group would I'm in. Um, you know, I, I typically don't find primary care reps because there's so many of them out there. You could put an ad out on LinkedIn and, and find a great group of people like that. But if you're looking for a VP of compliance with, you know, very specific skill set, then you would utilize a recruiter to go out there and find the top people and present you with a short list. Awesome. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Michael. This went by really quickly, and I think we got a lot of good uh, information for a lot of the people listening. So how can people get in touch with you if they uh, want to explore some opportunities? So um, there's a few ways. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So my name is Michael Aceto. My last name is A-C-E-T-O. Yeah. Uh, please feel free to reach out to me through LinkedIn. We do have a website, lifesciencessearchgroup.com. Um, and my email address is macito at lsigroup.com. And those are some ways to reach out to me. Awesome. Thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. So that was episode one of the Aromo Digital Podcast. If you enjoyed listening to it, please let us know in the comments and share it with your colleagues. Again, I'm Ken Stope. And I'm Yaka McConan, and we are Aromo Digital Group. We're a digital agency helping pharma and biotech companies create purposeful digital programs. If you'd like to learn more about us and how we can help you, please look us up on LinkedIn or go to aromodigitalgroup.com. That's all for now.